Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to the highly decorated songwriter Shelly Pikin. Now, Shelly's been around since the late 80s. Uh, a lot, tons of people have recorded her songs. She's written tons of songs. Now, she probably, I don't know how she'll feel about me saying this, but she's kind of the queen of writing like female empowerment anthems. Not just females have recorded her songs, but a lot of females have over the years, including Celine Dion, Britney Spears, Brandy, Miley Cyrus, Lindsay Lohan, everyone you can imagine just about has recorded a song by Shelly. Her two biggest hits are two of the biggest anthems of all time. This one right here, What a Girl Wants from Christina Aguilera, and then Bitch from Meredith Brooks. So the 90s were especially good to Shelly. So this conversation is great because she's so open and honest, kind of about, you know, her place in history, her legacy, where she stands today, where the business stands today, what it's like writing songs with people. She calls it song sex, and she's exactly right. She's about to release her first solo album in August. It's called 2.0, etc. And uh, it features her doing versions of her own songs that she wrote for other people. And then there's also some new compositions in there. In fact, when we did this interview a couple of months ago, the latest single was called George and John, and it's kind of a, a tribute to the Beatles. In fact, former guest Phil Thornalley worked on that track with her, and uh, former guest B Glenn Burtnick pops up in this conversation as well. In addition, when we now, as I mentioned, we did this conversation, we did this a couple of months ago. It was in the early days of the quarantine. So if the two of us sound a little naive about where things are going and what might happen, that's why. You guys know developments are happening every day. We didn't know then what was in store. Uh, now, speaking of her being open and honest, she also wrote a book about herself called Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, and it is fantastic. I loved this book. I hadn't read it when I did this interview, and I wish that I had because I would have approached this so differently. But she is so open and honest about the process of writing songs and how you do it right and when it goes wrong and and uh, talking, uh, uh, confronting the people who have recorded her songs. Some fantastic stories in there about this. And again, where her, what her place in history is, where she stands today. I, uh, I loved this book. And... Uh, get this too. I sit down to read it recently and I noticed the foreword is written by our friend David Wilde. I guess they're neighbors. They're really good friends. And I didn't know that. So anyway, he, our buddy, David, wrote the foreword to uh, her book. Isn't that great? Anyway, I look, I'm not an expert on this kind of music, on uh, all the young ladies that have recorded her songs and it's all sort of like a generation just, a generation or two maybe beyond mine. But Great songwriting is great songwriting. And I did a ton of homework to get ready for this conversation. And her the talent is unmistakable. I also asked her about other artists that I'm more interested in, like NXS and Joe Cocker and Meatloaf. So anyway, this is a wide-ranging conversation. I'm probably not the right guy to have a deep, in-depth conversation about women empowerment, but I tried my best. So I hope you guys like it. She called me from her home in L.A. So now for starters, there are so many things to talk about with you. So many people have recorded your songs. I, I'm overwhelmed, actually. Whenever I, I keep looking over the list of people who have recorded your songs, and, and I've done it probably 10 times, and each time I do, there's a new name in there that I want to ask you about. But let's start this way. I was talking with a buddy of yours the other day, and I said, hey, Glenn Burtnick, 
Tell me Aww. about. Yes, I said. Tell Happy. me about working with Shelly. And he said, "Oh, she's my buddy." And she said, "He said, tell her, maybe ask her about the first song we ever wrote together." So I wondered if you could tell me that story. Oh, you just brought up. I'm missing my. I'm missing my friend so much. I'm missing. Yeah. I'm missing them more now because I can't see them, even though I haven't seen Glenn in years. Mm. And we maybe talk like once a year. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just they're a lot more emotional about everything. Gosh, I went to Glenn's house in New Jersey. It was really, really snowy. Ooh. And his keyboard was set up by a window. And we were watching his wife chase their little toddler as she ran in the snow i don't know why i have such a vivid memory of Wild. that and we wrote a song called we could be in love i was just entranced but you know i'm a musician myself uh-huh but when i'm with a better musician i hang back i like somebody else to put their hands on their instrument and to take me to some place where I can't take myself when I do it myself. Mm. And he was just playing this beautiful, beautiful melody. And I, and we started the song, we could be in love. And then I took it home to New York city. I finished the vocal. I think we demoed it without any MIDI. I'm uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. It was like all analog. And I think I last longer recorded it. It was in a beautiful little movie. It was just a darling song. Its mind is all its own It would go far and wide Just to be near you Even the stars Shine a bit bright I've noticed When you're close to me seen us knows what's going on between us it doesn't take a genius to read between the lines and it's not just wishful thinking or only me who's dreaming I know what these are saying She was like a Disney character. Yeah. I think she was she was working with Steve on S Curve. It, it was just a lovely experience. You know, when you write your first song with somebody and it gets recorded, you just feel so encouraged to keep working with them. Yeah. Like, oh my god, it was yeah. our first song and we're and we're one for one. Yeah. But you know, I call this thing that we do song sex. Oh, and right. <laughs> it, it is funny. Yeah. It is a kind of funny idea. But I don't, it, I never came up with that thinking it was funny. It mm. is what we do. We yeah. get together and we merge, yeah. you know, and it's delicious and it's exciting and you get. And high. it's intimate. I, 
Yeah. And, and it's intimate and it's more like an eargasm than, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the conversation that precedes it is foreplay. Yeah. And there should be conversation that precedes it. And it was just a great day. I think Glenn and I fell in love that day mm-hmm. creatively. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, there are relationships I've had with people in this business like Glenn and Greg Sutton, who I met 25, 30 years ago, and they are still in my orbit. Yeah. You know, we still check in with each other. Writing, songwriting has become so um, fractional mm. and, and so quick. Mm-hmm. And there's so many more of us for many reasons, and we could get into why that is later. But we're just mix and matching at this frantic pace that there are people I wrote with last year. I can't remember their name. I can't remember mm-hmm. <laughs> the song. You know, yeah. I might never talk to them again, but I know I remember that song with Glenn. I could sing you every word. And if mm. he were in town, we'd have dinner. That's great. You know? Yep. There were these relationships we started. So yeah. that's my long-winded answer. No, that's great. And I wanted to put a plug in there, too. There's a song you two co-wrote on one of his solo albums called Never Mind Me. That's also uh-huh. really good. Never mind me Things that I say to you Pay no attention to me Forget in the way Never mind me I'm just a fool for you Fall at your feet, it's true Every day Can't you see I may be just what you need And if you don't know by now I'll try to show you somehow Isn't it love that moves the mountains? Breaks your fall Isn't it love that makes you happy Makes a difference in this world But if your heart don't want to hear it If your eyes don't want to see Never mind me I'm not the one you want We wrote that in Central Park Really? Huh (laughs) That's great well, let's. Uh, I have another story with a collaborator of yours that I'm going to save here for just a couple minutes. But I, we should talk about the new album that you have coming out. Hopefully, I mean the world is upside down right now, and uh, unless the world, unless the world ends, the album's coming out. It is for sure. Okay, oh, I believe yeah. that's. I mean, well, everything else you... is getting pushed, so I didn't know if album releases, like movie releases, were oh. being sort of shelved. You know. No, I feel like, you know, it was funny. Well, it wasn't funny when, you know, two weeks ago, this was fast. And every 24 hours, you realize things advance to a certain, we were all joking about, I'm going out and I'm going to wear gloves, you know, but the next Uh day you were really wearing gloves. Yeah. And it was, I think all hell broke loose. The seriousness about everything kind of revealed itself the day before George and John, my mm-hmm. this new single that I feel very precious about. Yeah. 
was going to be released. And I had written this song, and I just feel so, so precious about it. Good. And I just kept thinking, I cannot believe that the day I'm releasing the song is the day of the apocalypse. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know I'm not the only artist yeah. that was thinking about that with material, but that's what I was thinking in the in, in my head. And I just thought, God, maybe we should wait. Mm-hmm. And I'm partnering in this project with um, my friend Kristen Jewell, who is, really helping me with um, releasing material and finding a distributor and uploading the stuff to the DSPs and branding and marketing and stuff. And I, I called her the night before and I said, you know, I think I texted her because I didn't want to have the conversation. I just wanted to put the idea in her head. I said, I I don't know if we should release it, but Mm -hmm. actually it was with Spotify already. You can't just call Spotify and say, um, hold up. Right. You know, it's in right. the system. It's coming out no matter yeah. what. And she convinced me that, Shelly, everyone's going to go online. You're going to mm-hmm. have everybody's attention. So true. This, I mean, aside from the reason why this is happening, there's a lot of good stuff about everybody just being, we're all going to be glued to our computers. Yeah. Well, I thought, okay, you know, I get it. Yeah. I get it in the logical way, the way she thinks. And she said, besides, there's nothing we could do. It's in the, it's in the Spotify and the Apple machine. It's coming. Mm-hmm. They're spitting it out. Yeah. You know, and we can't re-release it later. Yeah. So then for, for a few days or for a week, I just thought, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. Let's just do this, you know. Yeah. But what we weren't thinking about is everybody else is going online, too. Yeah. Yes, that's where everybody's going to be behind their screen in that space. But everybody else is doing that too. So yeah. it's going to be a very competitive space, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to tell you, John, the, the deeper emotional feeling in me was, I don't care how many people are watching it online. Mm-hmm. We're all in this really weird headspace right now yeah it's uncertain yeah i mean i'm lucky i'm safe i'm in a home i'm not alone it's all gonna be okay but i miss people i miss civilization i miss life Mm -hmm. i want to be able to be putting music out Mm -hmm. when i'm in a good frame of mind yeah and when people are receiving it in an organic way when they're yeah. going about their life and they hear a song and they shazam it, they pull the car over. So I'm just going to be honest and truthful with you. I'm not going to say, oh, well, let's, you know, and rationalize, although this is a perfect time. Everyone is in their computer. <laughs> right. well, I mean, that occurred to me, but I think we're all processing this so yeah. quickly. And where yeah. at first I thought, okay, from a marketing point of view, this is great emotionally do you want to be releasing the work you've worked so hard mm-hmm. to do in a very uncertain time for people yeah. now having said that on the other hand we need music probably more than ever now if mm-hmm. i catch somebody in a down 
frame of mind and they hear my song and they're so happy they heard it and it's uplifted their moment or if it expanded their life, that's what I'm aiming at. Now. Yeah, right, um, right. That's what I have to think about because I'm not putting it on hold and I feel disconnected to people. So I'm going online. I'm doing a live stream show tomorrow night from oh, my good. living room. Okay. It's going to be extremely low tech, uh -huh. <laughs> but nobody knows me as somebody that's high tech. Right. I'm doing what I can to stay connected. But honestly, if I didn't have this now, mm-hmm. I'd be in way worse shape. Yeah, yeah. If ever there was a time when people could be grateful for the internet, it's now. Because without it, we would feel even more isolated from each other. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that there are going to be silver linings. Honestly, when this whole thing is over, and it will be, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to just leave all of my devices mm -hmm. at home mm -hmm. and go away for a month. Yeah. And not check in on anything because I feel like I should just Velcro my phone to my arm. <laughs> I can't. So it's, it's like my connection to the world. And really, I, I need to be doing more reading. I need yeah. to you know. But if I want to take the work that's been the biggest part of my life for the last year and give it life, I can't disconnect from my devices. Yeah. I, I do think that the silver lining is going to be that people are going to, when this is over, step away from their screens, which will prop, which is probably something we need anyway. Right. Um, coincidentally, right. also we're putting out single after single after single. And the, the lead single for when we release the whole album is a song called human that uh -huh. I recorded. Mm -hmm. song that I wrote that the Pretenders recorded many years ago mm -hmm. and I reimagined that song and Chrissy Hind actually sings backing vocals with me Ooh, on it. Ooh, very nice. But I feel like it's going to come out right when this whole thing is hopefully, my yeah. God, <laughs> over in the middle of the summer yeah. and it's a statement on being human. Yeah. You know, the song is called Human. It's like we, we forget you know, we're having virtual cocktail parties. Mm -hmm. Adam and I, my husband, we're having virtual dinner parties. We'll actually schedule to eat our dinner with our friends on a nice. computer screen. So at least we can Very talk nice. to them. Yeah. 
but there's nothing like another beating heart in the room. No kidding. No kidding. It's so true. Well, that's great. I, um, well, good. I, I didn't, uh, realize that, well, it sounds as if all systems are a go to get the 2.0 album, which I should say for anyone who hasn't picked up on the theme yet, it's you kind of doing your own re-recorded versions of songs for the most part that other people have made famous. I did want right. to throw a, a story at you. You'd mentioned George and John, which is the song that's right. kind of the current single. Another person who's been on this show that I'm a little bit friendly with is Phil Thornalley. Uh -huh. and, and I reached out to Phil and I said, Phil, tell me about uh, Shelly. And he recounted this story. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read his email so that um, people out there can hear this. Uh -oh. the <laughs> well, because George and John apparently was born out of catastrophe uh and it and through that we found a, you guys found a new way forward so let me read this he says the original recording made seven years ago had a full band when i tried to find it for shelly's new album it had gone i love this to magnetic heaven lost <laughs> looked through every external drive gone yikes he said so we recorded it from scratch and shelly sent me a scratch vocal quickly recorded by herself at her home in a new key, and I built the new track around that sound. And right. this is Dave Monday, a co-writer, and I tried the piano and then added the string quartet, but had to spend hours making that scratch vocal fit with compressors and lots of EQ, tuning, every trick in the book, and I found this magic Beatlesque vocal delay setting that suddenly made it all sit. Lucky fluke. And at the end, he says, sometimes right. making records involves scratching your head for hours, then making one mistake, and suddenly it all comes together. Genius. Right. Yeah. Wow, so that, that sounds like a good interview. Yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's great. He was on here. He's one of my favorite interviews we've ever had. And when I saw that yeah. you two worked together, I thought, I got to ask Phil for a story. So it sounds like this George and John song originally, seven years ago, was meant to be something completely different. But it, too, it turned into, through a mistake, the Beatlesque kind of tune that it is now. And uh, I was curious how, you, you know, what's your take on this story? How do you feel about that? You know, he's so much more in tune with the how it came together in a, in a production world, and I and it it does bring things back. I remember I sent things to him for, from well, well, yes, we wrote it, and it was a way bigger production. 
I think that a lot of accidents happen. That they mm-hmm. that they lost that first recording is probably a blessing in disguise. Although that first recording was pretty amazing. Too. I I wondered if um, you would say that. <laughs> yeah. N- no, no, it was. It was just a fuller imagining, mm-hmm. and we wanted to bring it into 2020 anyway. If we had found that original recording, we probably would have scaled it down anyway. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we had to start from scratch was probably a blessing in the end because we were building it up instead of tearing it down. And this, we were going, we were doing it very slowly and realized we don't really need much more. Mm-hmm. We don't need all the drums. We don't need all the strings, just a little bit. And when I recorded my vocals on GarageBand, <laughs> I thought, oh, this is fine. I, I guess, you know, I don't, realize how much work mm. goes in to something that Bill does because yeah. I'm not there, you right. know, right. and um, in hearing you read that email, um, it's not like I take it for granted, but I really appreciate even more what is so easy to forget. True. We just show up and sing and feel and he worked on that for a long time and we when he discovered that vocal plug-in or whatever it was yeah it was amazing because you know it's fun and fine to talk about a song like we're doing Uh but you can no one could ever understand a song or feel a song by hearing anybody talk about it the way they can when they hear a song you know like trying to just anything it's like yeah but then when you hear it or you see it you really get it so i I don't know if you have you heard it oh yeah oh yeah oh okay you have okay you know what i'm talking about yes but it's very with you feel like you're back in a beatles sound it's very produced like a beatles record totally produced it is the vocals and very George Martin-esque without feeling, I don't think, like it's cheesy. Oh, they were trying to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were trying to write a Beatles song. That's not what it came. It came upon us very organically. In fact, when I had been in London, before we even touched on it the first time, I had told Phil, because this is what songwriters this was part of our song tag. Uh-huh. I had always, in my mind, I, I had this idea for a song that I was kind of putting together in my head. And I wanted it to be, it was a high concept concept. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be, um, I always put it this way, an emotional, it would be an emotional analogy between how I felt about losing a partner in a breakup Mm. and about how heartbroken I felt because we don't have half of the Beatles anymore. Right. And I had this one line that went half of me is John, half of me is gone just like George and John Mm. and still I could tell his antennae just like went right up. He's like, I want to write the music. Mm. And I thought, well, that would be great. But I just, I couldn't imagine that anybody as talented as I knew Bill is, uh-huh. and he's the best, 
Uh-huh. I just didn't think anybody would be able to write a piece of music that would satisfy the other half of this idea, the musical part of the idea. And so he said, let me try. And I said, you know, knock yourself out. And I came back to Los Angeles a couple of weeks later in my email queue, I see an MP3. I'm thinking, oh, my God, he did it. You know, he tried to do it. I'm right. afraid to play this. It's never going to be okay. Right. But when I played it, I was just floored. Nice. He just captured all the beats and yeah. the whole emotional musical vibe I had imagined in my head. And the words started coming, and I don't think I got up out of that chair. Nice. Until it was done, it just like it was divinely challenged. I felt like John and George were up there just feeding That's me the right. It was crazy. So I went back to London this August, and we put finishing touches on that version. And I think he would agree that we're happy we started it over because, yeah, um, yeah. great. So. That's great. Good. It's got to feel good when you uh, feel like you're achieving your creative goals. You know, when something right. comes out and you're happy with it and it's been a long gestating idea. And you know that That's better right. than anybody as a songwriter. Right. Um, right. Speaking of which, so let me, let's let's go through some of the the greatest hits of Shelley Pike in here. Am I saying okay. it right? Pikin? Yes. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Now, on the new album, your new album, you do a re-recording of What a Girl Wants. Giving me time to breathe like a rock, you waited so patiently while I got it together. While I figured it out, I only looked, but I never touched. Cause in my heart was a picture of us holding hands, making plans. And it's lucky for me you understand. Yeah, it's lucky for me you understand what a girl wants. You know this. There are the two big, the big songs, What a Girl Wants and Bitch. And I want to hear the stories of both of those. But how did What a Girl Wants, and this is the story I'm sure you've told a million times, how did this even come to be? I, If I remember correctly, you had no idea it was her first album. So to you, Christina Aguilera right. is not a thing yet. She's just somebody who right. some people are trying to find songs for. Right. Exactly. She was a Mouseketeer. Yeah. And Ron Fair, uh, you know, they were having a lot of luck with the Mouseketeers back then. Mm-hmm. And Ron Fair, who was at RCA, BMG, um, wanted to make a record with her and put her in the studio for a little while with my friend and his, Todd Chapman. And I guess he wanted to try out, see how they compat, see how compatible they'd be together. Um, Todd called me to write some songs that she could sing on. You know, it was just mm-hmm. sort of an experiment. And then on a whole different day at a whole other session, I was writing with my friend, Guy Roche, 
and he was just doing what he normally does. He's just playing some kind of chord progression, some kind of vibe on the keyboard. And I pulled a little receipt out of my jacket pocket or purse pocket. I had written something down the day before, which I do a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. when you think of something, you just make sure you write it down. About my boyfriend at the time, who I had moved to Los Angeles from New York to be with, but the song was about all the space he gave me and the time he gave me to make up my mind. And that's what a girl wants. She wants Mm. space and time and words about my appreciation for all that. And the words flowed with what he was playing and we wrote the song. We listened to it the next day and thought, wow, it's, it's in the morning. It was still good, which is always a good sign because sometimes Mm -hmm. you think something's great and in the morning it just sucks. And you're like, so true. So true. That's right. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Um, but we liked it in the morning. We liked it in the morning. And um, we thought we wanted to send it. We knew that Ron was making this album with this Masketeer. I was feeling a little guilty because I had started to work with her with my friend Todd. And out of respect for the fact that he sort of brought me into her world, I mm-hmm. kind of felt a little guilty about pitching a song I wrote with another guy but we mm. did because you know all fair in business and ron really liked it and uh he he asked originally it was what a girl needs what a girl wants the needs mm. was first and we were calling it what a girl needs and he asked us to swap out the wants with the needs he thought mm. wants was i don't know sexier and it had more yeah. alliteration with what and at first I thought, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, nobody could tell me what to do with my mm-hmm. art, but she could really, really sing. Mm-hmm. And we thought, oh, what the hell? And we switched it out. And I got to tell you, I have no regrets. And right. I think he was right. I think he was right. I didn't see it at the time. Really, I thought, oh, he's just being he's being so picky, you know. Yeah. He's, yeah. Just, he's just trying to get his two cents worth in there. But I do <laughs> right. think... I do think he was right about it. Good. There's a theme on your resume here that almost every young female ingenue of the last 30 plus years has a song written by Shelley. And I mean, no. I, almost uh, so many of them. I mean, if I go through this <laughs> list, you I'm sure you know this. There's Samantha Fox from back in the 80s, Danny Minogue, Michelle Branch, the Olsen Twins, Mandy Moore, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lindsay Lohan, Raven Simone, Ashley Simpson, Miley Cyrus. I made a list. And uh, I mean, these are Britney Spears. These are all uh, Ashley Tisdale. There's a million of them. Everybody, every girl who probably came from Disney or something. Right. Hilary Duff, when they... Dove Cameron, I keep the names keep coming to me. When uh, uh-huh. when they when the machine the the show business machine wants to get more out of this young female brand and turn them into recording artists and get them out there on tour and get them hits, they seem to come to you. Why do people come to you with, for this? Well, I think to be honest, your list is accurate, but this is. You know, it was also, I was more the flavor of the decade. Mm. Mm. 
uh, right after you have some really big hits, you know, everybody comes to you. Can you write another bitch? Can you write another what a girl wants? And, of course, you don't because you can't write another one of the same right. song, but you write something else. But you have the opportunity to get in those rooms. So, you know, I was the it girl. Yeah. Um, would they come to me right now? Probably not as much. I've been way more niche rooms. Um, and, and that's okay because I'm not sure I can – connect as well or I have the desire to write about the same things that mm -hmm. 20 year old artists mm -hmm. want to write about and and I I don't I'm not judging I don't blame them you know everybody has a has a right and 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 I'd expect young people to write about stuff that 20 year olds care about but I think that a lot of the subject matter is is gone into like um a lot of uh, materialism, mm -hmm. beauty, and, mm -hmm. and a Kardashian world. And yeah. I, you know, I just, I'm not really, I don't think I was ever interested in that, actually. Yeah. You know, I used yeah. to, I like writing about love and confessional stuff, unrequited, things sure. you want, things you might lose. I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I just remember watching the Grammys and I thought, oh my God, is every performer in a garter belt and a push-up bra. Yeah. What are the implications of that? Yeah. Is every song, you know, has to be about, I want you to have sex with me while I sing the song, regardless yeah. about whether it's about sex or not. Mm -hmm. You know, Billie Eilish didn't. Yeah. You know, Billie Eilish was buttoned up to her neck. Yeah. And she's the one who won everything. So, yeah. you know, I just, culture has, is different now than it was when I was coming up. And I'm glad that came up. Do I want songs on the radio now? Sure. Would yeah. it be great to be on hit records? Sure. But I'm happy I came up when yeah. you could write something that was just coming from your soul or your heart. Right. And it didn't have to be um, an, a, a, an earworm that, it, that came from an algorithm or, yeah. you know, so it was, it was, uh, didn't have to be about anything sexual or yeah. look at look at my beauty or my rings or my perfect life. You know, I I am grateful. And yeah. when I hear a song that is about something, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people resonate with when something is really true and deep. Yeah. Do we need those light songs to go out and dance to? Yeah, we do. You know, but mm -hmm. that's never been my thing. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have a lot more of them because the rumor is when people are depressed or they're going through a hard time, which we are now. Yeah. Music, music gets lively and celebratory because they need that escape. Right. It's, it's when things, it's when the economy is really good and life is booming that we can withstand Mm -hmm. depth and more seriousness i'm just i'm just digressing all over the place no Are that's okay friends? this is well this is a really thoughtful we're getting deeper on this than um than i probably thought you mentioning the difference in culture i you're right i was thinking about that i feel like the 90s thanks to a lot of your songs and thing you know want to be by the spice girls and stuff like that it was a it was a real era for women empowerment which is the, the a common theme in a lot of your songs i mean they're 
that's a that's a kind of a showcase for you but the empowerment there felt different it was more like we're women we're equal we have things to say we have things we want to do and unfortunately you're probably right that they still do women i'm not an expert on this i'm probably not even the person who should comment on this but that instead of that empowerment that empowerment is kind of getting spread all over the place but show business and in different ways but show business always wants to make things about sexual and and sexiness and uh sexuality because that's what sells and so that's probably all we see and those songs as you're saying an algorithm is kind of kind of creating those songs whereas before they they really stood for something and it's less important mm -hmm. now maybe for people to for women i guess maybe specifically i don't know to stand for something as much as they did back then i don't know maybe i'm the wrong guy to even comment on this but you saying all this it makes a lot of sense yeah it's food for thought yeah you know sometimes i think that women want to sing songs that stand for something because it's cool yeah you know yeah but just when I when I wrote Bitch and, and What a Girl Wants, I wasn't thinking women empowerment. I really True. wasn't. I was mm. just, how do I feel today? Okay. So All right. I, I think, you know, there's so many writers and briefs that are going around. We need something that, you know, for our movie about yeah. this empowerment and that empowerment. I don't know. I think I can smell when a song was written organically. Uh and when a song was written because they were trying to write that song. Yeah, I could see that. Um, let know? me ask you about songwriting for a minute. And and I hope this isn't too pointed a question, but I am curious about um, like we like we touched on all of the young ingenues <laughs> and the and the the business side of things. Is writing quality pop songs for artists like that does it ever lack any credibility? Or is it within the or the, within the music business? Is it viewed as actually a very valuable skill to have? Because at the end of the day, we are a business. We are trying to capitalize on people like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Lindsay Lohan and many right. more. Right. And if we can find someone who writes songs for those people, that's a very valuable skill to have. Or are you thinking, why is you know? I want Elton John to record my song. I want Rod Stewart to record or whatever. You know, someone who's how do you feel about that? I don't even know if there's a question there, but what? how do you feel about that sort of dichotomy artistically? Right. I'm, I'm waiting for the question. Yeah. Um, well, is there well, credibility in I, writing I have, songs like that? Yes. Okay. And um, I have actually thought about this. And for me, it's always been a balance mm. between my soul and my wallet. If I was doing all this only for my soul, I couldn't have sustained a livelihood. Good point. If I was doing it all for commerce, my soul would be empty, mm -hmm. right? So I do it for both. I embrace the songs that I wrote for my soul that happened never to get recorded. Maybe they just weren't in the right place at the right time, but they didn't. And now I've recorded them for my album. So fuck it. Right. Nice. <laughs> and <Good one. laughs> there have been, there have been songs that, that, that have been recorded that I never thought would see the light of day that made me some money. Oh, nice. And I'm not hating on that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the ones that I wrote from my soul that also 
were successful in a commercial way mm. that I feel are the most fortunate. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That that I was I was very fortunate to have written a couple of them that were really organic from my soul, from my heart, from my life, and also resonated with enough people yeah. that and these are songs that that still sustain me. Mm. Bitch was was written, you know, it was a big hit in 1998. I just got probably my 50th sync on it that's mm. coming out in a couple of weeks on a new Reese Witherspoon series called mm. um, Killing Rain. Mm. Uh, Mark Isham um, scored it. And, oh, Ruby Amora, Ruby, oh, I can't think of her last name, wonderful um, artist sang it. And it it takes up the whole scene and it gets put on a pedestal and wow. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, universe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about bitch for a minute. And and we wanted to, and before we get into the story of it, I we do cover on here sensitively sort of the business side of things. Is the is the music business the way it is constructed today, would you be in a position to live off just bitch and what a girl wants royalties for from here on out i and i mean collectively with all your stuff it probably provides a really good living but if you just stripped out those two is that enough these days probably okay only only because of the way i handled those songs Mm. had i been in a pub oh you know what i just want to say the woman who the artist who recorded bitch for Little Fires Everywhere is oh. Ruby Amansu. It just oh. came to me. Okay, and I want to give her credit. It Let's get it in there. Ruby Amansu. Good. Did I say Killing Rain before? I meant Little Fires Everywhere. I think you did. I, I knew I'm what you meant. That's a new show on right. Hulu. Yeah. Little Fires okay. Everywhere. Had I made, had I written those songs during a time when I had given, I didn't have a co-publishing deal, mm. when I had given all my publisher share away, then the answer would be no. Yeah. Or had I had a co-publishing deal, which I did, where the songs never reverted, where the publisher owned the songs in perpetuity, I would say no. Mm. So I wrote these two songs, a number one and a number two, in a time that wasn't digitally economized. Mm -hmm. And I co-published them and they reverted to me. Oh, nice. So now, so now I own them, and I could sell them. And those are assets. They're okay. annuities. Got so it. when you ask that question, yes, two songs like that can potentially sustain you indefinitely. Nice. But it just depends upon if you own them, how much control you have Got it. of them. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, now let's talk about Bitch. I hate the world today You're so good to me I know but I can't change Tried to tell you but you Look at me like maybe I'm an angel underneath Innocent and sweet Yesterday I cried You must have been relieved To see the softer side I can understand how you'd be so confused 
First and foremost, where in the world did Meredith Brooks go? Are you friends with her? Do you talk to her? Yes. Where did she go? She adopted a son. Huh. And she is raising him. He's probably 14 now. She in Oregon? Where is she? Oh, Jesus. Pacific um, Northwest somewhere. You'll think of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, she was going to come down here end of March and spend some time with me. We, I have, we haven't seen each other for years, but we yeah. text, you know, randomly, like me and Glenn Burtnick. Uh -huh. um, and she can't come because of everything that's happening. Right. Now, hopefully, she's going to come a little later in June. So, you know, the way I see it is that Meredith and I, we wrote a song that, we we share, we we are, bitches are love child. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we shared conceiving this piece of art that has energy that has shifted the universe and people's lives in many ways. Um, yeah. This cultural culturally significant three minute thing that we had no idea right. was going to happen the day we sat down to write it. It is a magical, special thing that happened mm -hmm. between us. And I, if just for that, I will cherish her yeah. forever. There are no other two people on this earth that wrote that song. That's true. On that day, you know, it was just a, an amazing thing that mm -hmm. our stars collided. We, we, got together, we felt the same emotion about this idea, and I love her for sharing that with me. Yeah. And we were we were each other's vessels, you know? Yeah. And she put that song out there like nobody else could. Right. In my opinion, did she have the best voice? Did she play the guitar? The, it. She was that song. It yes. Was her. You yes. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was so authentic. It was so authentic people say well it was her one only uh, holy hit you know so what you know right. she put out other music um that was valuable and meaningful and wonderful and you know what if i only had one hit in my life and it was that song <laughs> i'd be fucking happy that's true you know what I mean? <laughs> yes i do look what she gave to the world yeah so yes we we still speak hopefully she'll be down here soon but um happy to put the two of you in touch oh i would really love that i would love yeah. i have been fascinated by what her story could possibly be and i would love to chat with her about it thank you Great. I'll, I'll yeah i'll take you up on that um okay let me throw some of the songs out there that you've worked on with artists that i particularly love and one of the ones that really stands out to me is perfect strangers from in excess Just you 
if you want this, but I want you inside out. Now, wow. I don't know. Now, In Excess is one of my all-time favorite bands. I think they are amazing. Now, you obviously are on the Switch album, which is the one that came out after Michael Hutchins dies. J.D. Fortune takes over. It, it is an, it's a complicated album fraught with a lot of drama, I think. Um, just in terms of how do we keep this thing going when our main guy is no longer with us. And I think they ultimately decided not to even try. But for a while there, with that album and that tour, at least they were making an attempt. And you have a great song on there. How did this happen? Yeah. My friend Tony Bruno, who's a fantastic guitar player, who also played on a couple of tracks on my album, he had a relationship with the band. I'm not exactly sure. And he was in L.A. and asked me to jump on the ride. And we wrote something that um, that they loved, and they mm -hmm. recorded. It was one of those little gifts. Yeah, I'm telling you, John. Back in those days, we just wrote, and things found homes. Yeah, songs found homes. You know, yeah. if you wrote something really good, it found a home. It's yeah. not like now, where you know you write something and you know it's like fantastic, but there's just no way because it's like musical chairs. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. A thousand songwriters circling a group of two chairs with yeah. their precious songs, you know, <laughs> so yeah. and the statistics are just so against you. But back then it was it was more enjoyable because, it, you know, you knew if you wrote something good, it would probably fly. Yeah. Maybe 50 percent of the time it didn't. But if it did 50 percent of the time, the other 50 percent of the time, it was worth it, you know, yeah. Yeah. and the stuff that didn't fly, at least you had a good day. Yeah. At least you made a friend. You good know, point. You had a good time writing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a that, it's a really strong song, song, and I think it fits just as well in their overall canon. There's even a fantastic sax solo in there that they do unlike anyone else. Um, right. I did. Uh, let me throw another one at you. It's Only Love by Joe Cocker. It's never too late. Turn the night into day I'll meet you halfway And we'll see it through We're just standing here There's only me and you Don't tell me you don't feel it Cause I feel that too Love is dreams we can use God's grace is living proof We'll take the time and get it right Come on, come on, come on I know we can make it 
is strong It's never too late I have a real soft spot for Joe. I think he can be a wonderful interpreter of other people's songs because he doesn't write a lot himself. Uh-huh. And uh, that song in particular, I think you know, sounds almost exactly like Wonderwall by Oasis. Oh, so I'm curious. I didn't know. Oh my God. You know, really? Should I call my lawyer? I don't know. But I am You know, there were a lot of, Joe's one of these people that oftentimes is only as good as the people he's collaborating with who's producing, who's writing the songs. And uh, and I was curious how you got into Joe's orbit. And it, did you ever meet him? No. Uh, that was, I was doing a lot of writing with John Shanks at the time. And John had written that track and had asked me for a lyric. Uh, I got I remember exactly where I was when I wrote that too, but <laughs> I don't remember it sounding like Wonderwall. Oh, but yeah, I'm it kind of does. Right. Yeah, and and maybe I don't, you know, I'm not claiming page, uh, plagiarism or anything, but the the production hey, it's, value it's of too it. Too late anyway. Well, seven years. That's true. <laughs> oh, my You're husband is nodding his head. My husband's like, "Shut up, honey! It's not seven years." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Rewind. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So let me ask you another one. Decadent Wish by Meatloaf. Talk about big, interesting characters. Some of his stuff I love so much. How did you get become? How did you get into Meatloaf's orbit? God, I think that was with um, was it with Judd Freeman? I don't know. Gosh, these are um, these are deep cuts. I know. Well, they're the artists that I really like the most of all the people you've worked with. So I thought I'd start there. A lot of the orbits I got into because the producer pulled me in. That mm. I never met the person, okay. you know, Yeah. the producer pulled me in. You know, it was funny because by the time I had my fourth song recorded by Celine Dion, mm-hmm. I realized I had never met her either. <laughs> A lot of the producers, and God bless them, yeah. they never invited me to the session when she was going to sing the song. Mm. And there were reasons for that. Mm-hmm. There was more distance between the artist and the songwriters years ago. I guess there was also this feeling that if the songwriter were in the room, they might be too noisy, take too many pictures, suck up all the energy. In my case, that definitely would have been true. (laughs) But 
I know, I know how to take a little too much time for five minutes and then just shut the hell up, get my picture, shut the hell up. But I had never been invited, and I just thought, I, it's not okay. I want to meet these artists who are singing my words. I want them to know me. I want to give them an opportunity to appreciate me. Yeah, yeah. You know? okay. So when, when Celine was recording my fifth song, I called her manager. She was in, um, she was in Vegas. And I called him and I said, I'm getting on a plane. Uh-huh. And he said, come on, we're in the Palm Hotel. They've got a studio there and come up and say hi. Uh-huh. So I made it my business to to get there and to meet her and say, I, I would hope you care. I've written yeah. four of your, you know, not your big hits, right. but what are we, just a commodity? Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we exist. We are where it starts. And um, it was a great experience. Good. A lot of humor in that one too. I'll send you the book. You could read all about oh, it. Oh, I'd love it. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I spoke with Holly Knight recently right i'm sure you know uh-huh. Holly. and she uh-huh. did kind of similar things about just feeling marginalized these days that and you two have a similar not the least of which you're both women in an environment or business that is not doesn't have a ton of women as successful as you guys are but you you touched on this earlier that sort of the algorithmic nature of writing songs today and i just i'm i always think why are current generations not tapping into the resources they have available to them, like Shelly Pikin, like Holly Knight. These are people who wrote hits. Let the producers figure out how these songs should sound. But if you want a, you want a quality structured pop song, why not utilize the people, that, the resources that you have available, like you? And I don't understand that. Do you have a, an opinion on that, why that would be? So many. Uh, I bet you do. So many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, one of them is that young people in their 20s like to hang out with young people in their 20s. Uh, yeah. There are some young people who are very smart and would love to be in the room with me every single day if they could because they learn. Uh-huh. But most of them want to hang out with young people and have a top liner party. Mm. That's number one. Number two... The algorithm is the new A&R. Yeah. So it's not even about, it's not just about how a producer treats the record sonically. Uh-huh. It's actually a lot of that algorithm has to do with structure and melodic patterns mm-hmm. and production too. But a lot of it is in the songwriting. And three, producers want to be in on the songwriting process because mm. there's no more budget yeah. for third party producers to come in and produce an outside song. Mm-hmm. They want a piece of that copyright and they're going to be there from day one. That's tough. And it's tough that it, it <laughs> muscles out people, legends like you guys who could bring so much value to the party if they were well, allowed. You know, listen, the uh the seasons they go round and round yeah you know at some point no matter what no matter how the culture changes or how the process changes analog to digital what we've written at some point there's a new crop of people that moves in 
and takes over. Yeah. And I look at it like I am so grateful that I came up at a time where we weren't listening to algorithms and, and where if you wrote a pretty good song, you got a cut. And it was, I was, I came up in a gold rush. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It took me 10 years of writing Mm -hmm. album cuts before I landed a radio single, which now, now I appreciate that too, because I think it made me better. I think a lot of people who got a single too quickly, they never really might have, they might've gotten lucky too soon. And then Mm -hmm. they thought they had it and they didn't work to stay good. I mean, I worked my ass off to get good enough to write that single. By the time I had one, I had gotten better, but I, I'm so grateful that I was in the business when the champagne was flowing and yeah. the CDs were flying <laughs> off the shelves and yeah. we could sustain a livelihood because physical copies were selling. And if you wrote an, even an album cut on a physical copy that sold yeah. a million records, if you wrote that whole song, you made $90,000. So maybe you didn't live yes. in a castle, but you could make yeah. a decent living that has just gone away yeah it's completely gone away in the digital space so i feel lucky yeah. would i love to have another hit sure yeah. do i think i will maybe yeah but you know after i started feeling these changes i i wrote a book that i didn't even realize was going to be a book until mm-hmm. it sort of took on a life of its own it got nominated for a grammy i i'm making this record I, I don't know how this is going to play out, but it's far from over. It's just beginning, but I'm enjoying the process. Good. I got back in the studio and I can't remember being that happy and inspired in a really, really long time. Yeah. So, you know, kids coming up in the business today, John, even the ones that are writing pieces of hits, yeah. they have second jobs. Yeah. Second and third jobs. They're just not, they cannot make a living off of digital streaming. Yeah. Devastating. So I feel lucky. You are. You so are. Um, This, and uh, this, so I have a a kind of an odd question. What is, we've established what like your, the two big moneymakers are. What comes in most just under that? I mean, is it the Celine? Dion stuff is no. it you were on an NSYNC Christmas album. You were on Michelle Branch's first album. What is like the right. next highest after these two monoliths? Um, what comes in highest after that? Right. Um, my song almost doesn't count. That's funny. I'm That's staring Brandy. right at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost made you love me. Almost made you cry. Almost made you happy. Oh 
Brandy recorded that and Mark Wills. Come on over, baby, was oh. also number one. Um, I don't think I, I knew don't... you did that one. Hey, boy, don't you know I got something going on? the whole story in that um, I wasn't in the room when that song was conceived uh, a whole bunch of other writers wrote the song it was recorded it was put on Christina's album but when they were going to release it as a single Ron Fair thought that the lyrics on the verses could be stronger mm. and he called me to see if I could improve them mm. so I was added later for a percentage we could all agree on and mm -hmm. I didn't do it until I was sure that all the other writers knew he was asking me to do it but I don't see that song in the same category of, of all the the songs that I've written that I birthed myself you know right. I just I don't like to take the credit yeah um, I mean I, I do to some extent but there's a difference yeah so okay. that one that one um I get a lot of requests to do that one on on TV shows and there's a Jesse J song called Who You Are. Yep. I stare at my reflection in the mirror. Why am I doing this to myself? Losing my mind on a tiny era. I nearly left the real me on the shelf No, 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 no The lies of yours In the blur of the stars Seeing is deceiving Dreaming is believing It's okay not to be okay Sometimes it's hard To follow your heart That's also about self-empowerment, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of young ladies relate to it and love to sing it on yeah. contestant a, shows. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one, too. So, okay. Yeah. Just curious. Thank you. Okay, let me throw out just a couple more at you, if you don't mind. We're coming up in the hour. No, Are you no. doing okay? I'm fine. Okay, good. 
Boy, there's still like hundreds I haven't even gotten to yet, but I won't keep you that long. I am curious about the very first one that I can see according to uh, some of the sites I've been looking at, like Wikipedia and everything. Ready for this love from Samantha Fox, 1988. Oh my was- gosh. That's actually a really good song, which I I was surprised because, you know, she, you know what her story is. She was like a pinup girl that, they, again, they right. thought, well, let's turn her right. into a recording artist and see what happens. That's actually a pretty right. decent song. How was that the first thing that, you know, kicked this whole career off? And if it was, how did that feel? You know, your first paycheck as a professional songwriter. Right. right. It wasn't the first song I got recorded, but it was in that period and I have to be honest with you my friend April Lang was over my apartment in New York we smoked so much pot (laughs) (laughs) we smoked so much weed and we sat down at my piano and we wrote that song it was like candy you know it was just like oh this feels so good and then I played it I think for David Renzer, who was at Zamba at the time, and they were working with Samantha, and they took all my publishing, which, you know, I wasn't happy about, but these are the things we do in the very beginning to get our foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And I have no regrets there, no regrets. Taylor Dane was my first. Yeah recording okay and it's so funny you know she lives now probably three miles away from me in sherman oaks my friend eve nelson who produced most of my album um works with her on occasion for tv stuff and i'm thinking i have got to get in touch with her yes you know talk about going back and just appreciating people who were there for you in the beginning and what a personality she was, and uh-huh. I'm sure she still is. Yeah. yeah. Would that have been Carry Your Heart off of her Tell It yes. To Your Heart album? Okay. Right. I hear you calling from the street outside my window. You keep returning just to tell me that you're gone.
Okay, one more I want to I want to throw out you is uh, Swirl three sixty. Hey now now. And the reason I right. mentioned that one in particular is because if I if if I'm not mistaken, I think it's shown up on a few movie soundtracks and stuff like that. Uh huh. How, how uh -huh. did what's the magic of that song? It's a great song, by the way. But how did that even happen? Thank you. That's a song that I wrote with John Shanks as well. Okay. And uh, these two twin, I think they were twin brothers. They were just delicious. And I used to work a lot with John. It was a really nice, he, he, was, he was such a great guitarist. And he would just start playing, you know? Mm -hmm. He would just start playing and shit would come out of me. And <laughs> it, was, it was so beautiful, you know? And I think we wrote it with Denny, one of the brothers. I can't, did we write it with them? Honestly, this goes back. I can't remember if we wrote it with them, but it just felt really great. And that was another one that Steve Greenberg put on the map. I was a little disappointed. It was sort of at, right after Bitch, and I, uh -huh. I was pretty sure that it was good enough to go into the top five, and it barely mm. got on the charts. I was a yeah. little disappointed with that because I thought that song was just so feel good I agree and so delicious you know yeah but you know you win some you lose yeah. some okay I don't see it as a loss just a, good. a little disappointment yeah there. well and that's I mean I've talked to enough people about this very topic you don't like you were saying about when you wrote bitch you don't go into this thinking you're going to write a standard it just the world makes it such and sometimes you do go in thinking that song was really quality and i don't know why it didn't have a similar life but that hey now right. now is a great pop tune especially for the late 90s it would have fit in perfectly right there yeah but, but okay why right time yeah right song right place right artist maybe the label had other songs they were working harder yeah. to yeah. get on the radio you know what i mean it's yeah. just yeah. Okay. Gotta have all the elements there. Yeah, it did. Okay. Two more questions. Number one, sure. of all of the young ingenues that you've worked with, as a I'm thinking specifically people like Lindsay Lohan and Jennifer Love Hewitt, who can sing, by the way. She's a great singer. Yes. And it's unfortunately, right. you know, no one wants to take her seriously that way, but she is a great singer. Do I what think so too. of these people who? Do you have a fun story that relates to like did you meet Lindsay Lohan? Did you get in the in the studio with Jennifer Love Hewitt? Did you, you know, did you 
Did you hang out with Samantha Fox? I mean, any of these people, no. you know? No, but you know, there was a really cute story in that I was before um, Miley Cyrus got really mm -hmm. huge when she was just at the end of Disney. Um, she was supposed to come over to my house to write with me. And I had a daughter who, I mean, Layla must have been like second grade. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if the schedule worked out right, that Miley would be there when she came home from school, nice. but I didn't want to tell my daughter. I mean, she was like a big Hannah Montana freak. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I didn't want to tell her because I also knew that it was very possible that they'd cancel yeah. or they'd reschedule or something, right. but she didn't cancel and she came over. And when my daughter came home from school, you just, <sighs> the look on her wow. face wow. was just, uh, I can't even, her jaw just dropped, her eyes glazed over, like, why is Hannah Montana in my living room? <laughs> it would have been like me coming home and finding Paul McCartney. Yes, know? yes. Or Davy Jones and going, Mommy, why didn't you tell me? Right. Miley was really, really sweet to her. You know, Good. she totally got it. And Layla did not want to leave the room. You know, she, yeah. she, she, I said, honey, you got to be really quiet. And she sat up against the wall with her little high tops on, I'll never forget, and her little sweatshirt. And she just, honey, don't you have any homework, any schoolwork? She was just like, mommy, are you kidding? And she didn't leave the room. She was just. That's great. You know, shock and awe. Yeah. That's the parent, that's the parent MVP trophy yeah. right there. I, yeah. As a parent, I relate so well. Good. Yeah, yeah. Ashley Tisdale was here, and Jesse yeah. McCartney was here. You know, she was. Layla was just like this. This mommy songwriting uh -huh. stuff is pretty cool. You know, <laughs> getting to meet all these people. Good. Okay, last question. I want to know. We've touched on a bunch of songs. I'm looking on at right at a list of hundreds of songs you've written. Tell us one, like you were just kind of touching on with the Swir Swirl 360. What's a song cause, that you really like that didn't get the attention that it deserves? It could be buried on the most obscure person's obscure uh -huh. album. But tell us mm -hmm. a song where you're like, you know what? I always have had a soft spot for that song, and I don't know that people know it. What is it? Yeah, it was probably a song that Britney recorded called ah. um, Out From Under. I love that song. And Tell me you're the one who could have been And my eyes see it all so clear It was long ago and far away But it never disappears Try to put it in the past Hold on to myself and die
<laughs> I love that song. Do you? Yeah. yeah I'm a big I, UB40 I fan, and Ali uh, Campbell from UB40 recorded it on one of his solo albums. That's uh, primarily how I... Yes, he did. Yes. You gotta check that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. UB40, out from under. It's uh, oh, it's on a solo out. album of his called... Um, oh, what is it called? I don't remember, but it's... Uh, uh, he, it came out in the early 2000s. Ali Campbell, A-L-I Campbell. He did a version oh, of it. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I remember she was breaking up at the time with another name, a uh -huh. household name that I Justin can't... Justin Timberlake, <laughs> maybe? Yeah. Okay. And somebody sent me the music and I thought, oh, this is, this is really evocative. The words are just coming, you know, when music mm -hmm. is really good, you don't even have to write it. It just writes itself, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just thought, let me think about what she must be going through. Like having to extract herself from this person who she obviously really loves in the public eye with yeah. everybody watching mm -hmm. you know it just must be horrible probably the same feeling that selena had with bieber you know just uh, having to do this in public and how heart-wrenching it must be just to break up with somebody and not even do it in public just right. you know and and i often try to put myself in the artist's position like how have i felt when i've been in that really hard to write authentically about something that either isn't happening to you or never happened to you. True. You just can't make it up. And that song came to me when I was driving around in my car, the lyrics to it. Mm -hmm. I really was hoping they'd release it as a single. I thought people need to hear something from Britney that is really personal yeah. and they didn't do it. I think that she was going through a period where she didn't want to release things that, or mm. this is what I heard. Uh -huh. No way to know if it's true. Maybe they just told me this so I'd feel better. Um, <laughs> she didn't want to, she didn't want to release things that were really, really vulnerable. Uh -huh. I guess she was just so out there anyway. Did mm. she really need to open up her heart? further and show everybody all the details but so if it's true i get it yeah. maybe it wasn't maybe the label picked other songs i don't know but i am i'm honored yeah. that she recorded it i think she did a great job it's a great song and, uh, yeah. and it, it's a great record it yeah really is. yeah well great well that we've only scratched the surface here but thank you shelly for talking with me and My thanks for pleasure. putting so much great music out in the world what a Thank fascinating story Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'd love, to send you, I'd love to send you a book, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. Mm. So if any of your listeners want to hear more of these chalk-filled stories, they should know the name of it, and they could yep. get it online or in um, hard uh, physical copy or the audio copy. But I'd love to send you one. So... Um, maybe you could email me your address and I'll I will. put one in the mail as, as soon as I could get close enough to a post office. <laughs> All right, there you have it, Shelly Pikin. I love that conversation. I got to admit, though, 
I, that's one of those ones that I have some regrets about. I wish I could do this one over. And uh, sometimes I feel that way. And the reason is, is because, as I said, I hadn't read that book. Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, by the way. I hadn't read that book when I talked to her. And I have since read it, and I loved it so much. And she allows herself, her description of her life and her career, allows herself to be very vulnerable in that book. And that I could have really, that I related to. That vulnerability is something I related to, and I wish I could have, you know, dug my teeth into a little bit more. I feel like I know her so much better now than I did when I did the interview, and I wish I could talk to the pe to the person I know now, and uh, and do it again. So anyway, thank you, Shelley, for talking with me. Anyway, I love the book. Again, the album at 2.0, etc. It's going to be out in August. Okay, next week. Uh, well, the Super Hustlers, who are the $5 monthly patrons on Patreon, they know who next week is. But uh, he is one of the most decorated songwriters, decorated producers, and decorated session musicians of the, well, going back, oh my gosh, 55 years, something like that. So uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to know the name. If you don't know the name, you're going to know a million things this person's worked on. That's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner in crime on this. We're so grateful to have you, so lucky to have you. These things sound as great as they do because of Jan's hard work. Speaking of which, this week we should have more bonus material coming out. Hopefully you're enjoying the deep dives. I've still got a couple deep dives in the can, and I've got an interview that uh, I think we're going to put out as a bonus that uh, that might be the one that comes out this week. I don't know. just depends on how busy Jan and I are, but... Uh, you should be able to look for that later this week. And um, anyway, thanks everybody. We love you. We will talk to you next Tuesday. <laughs>